Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hume. Affordable Freedom is about defying the ordinary. It's about rejecting society's definition of success and the rat race it takes to achieve it. It's about slowing down to spend more time on what's truly important and using your money to build a lifestyle around those values. Financial freedom doesn't have to wait until retirement. With mindfulness and intention, you can make it happen a lot sooner. And it can be more affordable than you think. Thanks for taking some time to slow down with me today. Today, my guest is Matt Doan. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Matt, he's one of my favorite people to follow on social media. Um, For one, we're both working towards similar missions of using our experience and knowledge in the corporate world um, to be able to serve past versions of ourselves. You know, we both experienced corporate burnout and now we want to help others to overcome it and, and live more fulfilling lives. So Matt, after a successful career in management consulting, where he worked his way up um, at one of the most, cons- most respected consulting firms in the world in Boston Consulting Group, uh, started his own business to pursue what's, what's really a greater purpose to him. And he brings a level of passion that, that I find is hard to match and even harder not to learn from. So Matt, appreciate you joining the show today. Dude, so excited to be here with you, Brian. So fortunate to be on your journey with you. Let's have some fun. That sounds good. So what we want to talk about today is just for those people that um, feel stuck in their careers and, and they've got an idea that they want to maybe leave the corporate world at some point to, to not do so with, with haste. You know, on the Affordable Freedom Podcast, we want to help people to use their financial resources to create more time freedom and it's better to have a strategic plan than to just jump with no parachute. So I've learned some things from you, Matt, which have been really helpful. Like, as you know, when we first met, I was this kind of like anti-corporate, like just, you know, cut the cord and leave. Um, but but what I'm starting to realize is like during my journey, you know, three, five years ago, had I met someone like you, a mentor, I probably could have made this transition a heck of a lot easier. And one thing I'm learning to do is separate my advice to people um, because I'm helping people from a financial planning standpoint to make this move, um, separating my advice from my emotions and really kind of looking at corporate as a tool, you know, because if you're going to use your money to create a better life, your income for most people is your biggest asset. So why not turn that into a tool that you can use to create your best life? So that was a really good um, reframe for me, a good mindset shift. And so, Matt, can you just tell us a little bit about um, your, your backstory and your why behind what you do with your clients? Absolutely. I think we are a great match here, Brian. So I grew up in a very conservative military household, uh, very good household. It was, it was good character, learned a lot of good things. Ultimately, it was about picking from a default path. My dad was in the military, went to good schools, got good degrees. So I was like... I got to pick a good path too. So worked really hard to get into a good school, did so after much perseverance, picked a sensible path coming out of college, right? So I got after the dot-com bubble burst, it was recovering and I got into IT consulting. I was like, this is sensible. This feels fun. They're going to put me on the road. Let's do it. This is going to be great. Uh, So plugged in there, got married very early. Uh, at the age of 24. By the age of 28, I had three children. Didn't necessarily plan that in my early years that that's how fast I would be a dad of so many children. 
that I loved it and it was a part of me and I was living a different life much more quickly than all of my friends who were also in their 20s. Um, so while my wife at the time was at home taking care of those three, everything was on me, breadwinning, making sure the family was secure, bought a home, checking boxes on the American dream checklist like ABC, man, it was, it was to the T. Um, but I didn't realize what was happening was that I was modeling all of the behavior of people above me in the corporate system. Got to go get your master's, got to get promoted every 18 months to 24 months. Make sure you keep climbing, 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 put your elbows out, fight for positioning, be the one who always gets the special projects, the one that gets the special attention. And over that first decade, my 20s, essentially being in corporate, my identity was completely intertwined with the job. I couldn't separate myself from this. I, I kid you not, I was at the office sometimes at 3 a.m. I can't believe I even say that to you for various reasons between like trying to get schoolwork done and actively getting ahead in the job. I was in the office by 3 a.m. a few few nights, not all the time, but it was nuts. Um, things got crazy. I was traveling the world, three kids at home, didn't see them very much. And I thought I was sacrificing for them, doing it for my family, as they say. And then one night I remember I was in Munich uh, for a week-long trip, and I just hit a wall, and I just was crashing down in tears. I was missing my son's birthday. I realized that I was completely unhappy in my marriage. I was not there for my kids. Corporate was completely overrunning my life, and it wasn't corporate's fault. I had said yes to this, by the way. I'll unpack that in a second. Um, but in the next year, just a crazy set of things happened. Um, my marriage ended which caused me to not be able to see my kids very much anymore, which was very painful. My dad suddenly died of brain cancer. Um, my mental health was crazy. I was completely spiking with anxiety and depression. Everything seemed like it was the lowest low possible. Um, and then I had the choice to rebuild myself. We can get into that in a second, but that's kind of the, the, the backstory before uh, the better ascent going forward. Yeah. What do you think with that backstory? There are obviously a lot of things that you went through. What was really that that catalyst or that point where you said enough is enough? I remember pulling up in front of my house and I was too afraid to get out of my car and go inside. And one, because I thought I would get yelled at. Two is I know I would go in there and neglect my family and go hide and do work because that's where I felt safe. I felt psychologically safe by doing more work that I had been doing all day already. And I knew I was messed up. And there were a lot of things influencing that. The job was a major part. My immaturity in the job, my immaturity in handling my personal life. There were a whole confluence of events, Brian, that said, this is a tipping point in your life. A lot of bad stuff is about to happen. And this is the point where it can all get better. But I knew I was in for a big collapse at that moment. And that when I was going home and I couldn't get out of the car, that was a huge indicator to me. Because I think the, the biggest question a lot of people have is, you know, when do they make the change? When do they feel comfortable to do something about the way they're feeling? And it, it can be so hard to, um, to make that jump and make the change. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes you just have to kind of follow your intuition. Maybe there's not a specific answer about when is the right time to actually do something. I think you get to a point where you just feel like 
you got to do something. You got to reach out to somebody for some help in what you're going through. And that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to do. We have to kind of swallow our pride and forget about our egos a little bit. It is really painful. Sometimes it's one traumatic event that happens in people li- people's lives. Sometimes it's a slow boil of many events that happen like a slow simmer over a couple of years. And then you just find yourself in this place and you look back and you're like, oh my God, the last couple of years have been horrible, yet I've been accepting and saying yes to this situation. Um, and then, you know, just have this eureka inside your inner voice starts saying, I need to do something different. There's no other way but to do something different. Yeah. So... How would you describe uh, how your experiences, everything that you've you've been through in your career and your personal life, um, you know, how do you incorporate that into your business? Hmm. Well, let's talk about how the business formulated and then that, that how how that came together. So after that first decade in corporate, the job was a huge part of me ending up in a bad place. I knew I had to rebuild myself. I had to keep the corporate job because I had a large family to support. And I was out on my own now, and that was really difficult, but I had to make the job work for me. I could no longer afford, Ryan, to let it dominate my life as it had before. I need to be the one in control. And rather than just model everyone around me who's working six, seven days a week, up till 10, 11 o'clock answering emails, I was like, I can't do that anymore. There must be a better way. And funny enough, I didn't actually have many role models except one who was actually a direct leader of mine. Um who showed me a different way of life. He was actually someone who would go out for like 10 mile runs in the middle of the work day and and was super healthy and was there for his family. He did great work, but he operated differently. And it just kind of seeped into my mind. There's a different way. There's a different way. There's a different way. So over the next few years, I had to rebuild myself. I started experimenting with different ways of showing up at the job. I eventually was able to turn 11-hour days down to five-hour days. Didn't tell people about it, but still got promoted, still earned reputation that was solid, still got good respect, good leadership positions, good projects, external recognition. I was like, this is working. I'm going against the grain. I'm not acting like everybody else, but I found a way to be free in the job. And that was key. I needed to create freedom in the job first. I call it corporate freedom, where you can get a great paycheck, but you don't have to operate like everyone else. You can more quietly show up on your terms and still be high value, a great person, do a good job, but you have to create your own design. And from that, you can create more space to be who you want to be. I knew I needed to be an entrepreneur because on the side, I started investing in masterminds and coaching to be around those types of people because they interested me. I had no idea what they did. I'd never met an entrepreneur in my life. I thought it was just like Elon or Jeff Bezos were the only types of entrepreneurs there were out there. And then I started seeing people that were running one and two person businesses and had this lifestyle. I read Tim Ferriss, four hour work week. And I was like, okay, different possibilities. This is nuts. Um, eventually it got to the point where COVID hit and I knew I wanted to start a coaching business. I was no longer on the road. So I started that business at home. I did a couple years of experiments to actually figure out what angle I wanted to pursue. But eventually it led me to where I am right now, Brian, which is helping my past self. And we are each the most perfectly positioned people to help our past selves. We know that person so well, what they think, what they feel, what they experience. We should not undervalue that opportunity. So now I serve my past self. I talk about it as helping people in the corporate cage, which is a mental state where people are just consumed by work and it overruns their life. I help uncage them, get them out of that space, create a new world within corporate 
start a side business in service of a life that excites them. So I have a whole business around that. Nice. So what you said there about helping the past version of yourself, I mean, that is just such good universal advice. Um, particularly, I think, if you do eventually go on at some point to, to work for yourself in some capacity, I think anybody who has spent 10, 15 or more years in the corporate world has a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, and they can give advice to themselves sitting in that seat. And that's valuable. That's something people will pay for. So I think that's great advice. And for me personally, it's helped me to overcome imposter syndrome, right? Because of course I can give myself advice four years ago, been there, done that, been through it, you know? So it helps with that. One of the things that you mentioned there that I'd like to go back to is you went from working 11 hour days to five hour days. That sounds amazing. I don't think anybody would not want to do that. Now you were in, in consulting, so I imagine you were on the road quite a bit. You didn't necessarily have an office that you had to go to every day, so you could sort of make it work on your schedule. But what about for somebody who is like going into an office day in and day out? How can they maybe start to think a little bit about, you know, shifting the mindset the way you were able to? First and foremost, no matter what your work situation logistically or what your particular job is, you need to focus on this one principle. It's called outcomes over hours. It's a shorthand view to think about given your position, given what's incentivized in your organization, like look up, what does your boss get rewarded for, especially financially? What does your boss's boss get rewarded for? Look up that chain and ask yourself, what are the outcomes that will do well in our organization? What will move the needle? And then ask yourself, given where I sit, what my responsibilities are, what I'm talented and interested in, what should I be focusing on? What outcomes do I want to deliver? And then you start to separate that from all the noise of stuff you've been doing. So if you've been doing 20 different things between types of meetings and networking events and daily stand-ups and admin stuff and projects that may not be that important, you've got to ask yourself, how do I whittle that down to the essential ones, the ones that move the needle that are in my sweet zone of genius that I'm great at, that help my boss look good. And then I get really focused there. And if you need to go ask what those things are, go find out what those things are. And then you get maniacal about focusing your time on those things. Now, in my case, I was at a point for a couple of years, I was building a business on the side while in corporate. So my brain only works well from about 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. where it's really creative. After that, it's mush. So I have to save the uh, non-creative work for the late latter part of the day. So I had to protect those mornings like crazy. Um, so whether that was me in an office, me at home, I went dark for the most part. And I found ways to do this where, you know, I would check in as of 11 a.m. I talked about I needed to be creative in the mornings this is where I did my best work. So whether it was build a business or do my corporate work in those early mornings, morning hours, I learned to go dark. I learned to... Um, make other people okay with it, rationalize why it was essential. And eventually I earned my mornings to myself while still in corporate. And that reclaimed tons of time. I signed off usually by 4.30 or 5 every day. And yes, I got some backlash. Yes, it rubbed some people the wrong way. I was okay with taking those dings because overall I was still doing well. I still earned respect. And the net gains of time, energy, health, ability to be there for my new wife and now four kids was invaluable. I wouldn't trade that move for a 
second. Like it was so, so worth it, Ryan. Um, it was bold. And I learned that usually nothing bad happens if you do it well with good intention and you ensure that other people understand what you're doing, at least tell them as much as you need to. Yeah, I think um, this is a concept that I think of often is when we place our well-being above all else, we're just in a better mental state and our value to others increases. So if being more focused with your time and, and you know, kind of uh, adapting your workday around what works for you personally and is going to make you happier, um, yeah, it's going to rub some people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, if it makes you more productive and more valuable to other people, whether that's potential clients or people within your company, um, I, I think that's a great thing. So that makes I, I a always lot of say, sense to me. Think about, Brian, if you think about maybe some executives in your past corporate days that you really admired, how did you talk about you really admired them? What did they do differently? The ones that I really admired. Well, I think a big thing is they had a lot of confidence in, in what they were doing and they were very compelling in the, the things that they had to say. Um, they, they seemed like they had no stress. Now, I don't know if that's mm. the case, but they did seem very comfortable in what they were doing each day. Is that anywhere close to where you were getting with that? That's exactly what I experienced too. And you know, like you, if you have shared calendars and you open up an executive's calendar, it seems like everything's blocked off, right? And mm -hmm. they're really hard to reach and you have to go through two or three hoops in order to reach them sometimes through an assistant. That's because they value their time so much, at least the ones you and I are talking about right now, the mm -hmm. ones that are super intelligent, surgical with what they do, thoughtful, and also maintain a very healthy home life. That's they are super protective of their time and energy and they design their work situation accordingly. That's what you and I are getting at right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, obviously now you you were a person, you know, that was uh not struggling, but just unhappy, I guess, in the corporate world. Um eventually you cut the cord. But that's a really scary thing for people to do. So, like, did you just do it on your own? Did you have a mentor that helped you? Or what did that look like when you decided to finally take the leap? Man, I've had coaches for a long time. I've had nine coaches in my life so far. I don't think I'll ever go a day again without a coach. I have three right now. And you had you had a coach while you were in? I had one that specialized in corporate exits. Okay. Interesting. So I was getting explicit coaching um, to both build a business and manage the corporate ramp down. And this included things like, how do you think through the timing of an exit? What's the checklist of things you want to be true in your life? Like what financial milestones do you want to hit from a savings perspective, an investment perspective? Um, what do you want to, how long do you want to be in corporate to get like bonuses or 401k deposits? How do you get all those things checked off so that you get far enough? You're like, okay, I'm good now. What's that date? What are the sequence of activities you want to see unfold? What does enough progress look like in the business? Don't lie to yourself and think that my side business revenue needs to match my corporate revenue before I leave because you're going to be waiting forever, my friend. Like that, that, yeah. that is, that is a, a situation where you're just in paralysis and you have to get good enough, meet your conditions and then take that scary leap in the dark. So I worked through it with a coach. It was very helpful, gave me the confidence. I remember I set my exit day, which was February 28th of 2022. I set that quit date six months in advance, put it on the calendar. And every night 
I've read this little script I had for myself, which was a great idea for my coach. I wrote down a visualization. So I was quitting on a Monday. So the Saturday before I had what I was going to do, it was called a freedom party. And I wrote down what that party was going to be like, who was going to be there, the music we were going to have, the food, the drinks, the feelings, how the day would unfold during that freedom party. And I'll tell you, on that Saturday, which was two days before I quit, it happened just like that because I programmed it into my mind. It was completely inevitable. It was just I knew it was going to be the reality. And I kept committing to this every night before I went to bed. And my mind believed it as the only path. It wasn't scary anymore. So when I quit, I was like, of course, this makes sense. I've been telling myself this every night for six months. So when I quit, that moment was a little bit terrifying. But once I got it, I was like, this makes all the sense in the world. Spent two more weeks in corporate and I was gone. That's such a cool story from my perspective, because I was someone who didn't, I wouldn't say that I didn't want to seek help, but I just didn't really know where to go to seek help. The only like coaches that I ever really had access to were employees at the companies where I worked. So it was really kind of hard to get that sort of unbiased mentorship. And I just think like going back, um, you know, if I had to do it all over again, like, don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed the process. It's been a learning process. Um, but don't do this alone. Like, I would not do a jump alone. Do a tandem jump, just like you would if you were skydiving for the first time. But uh, yeah, just don't do it alone. This is a, a really valuable thing that you do for your clients. And on this note of investing in something like coaching or masterminds or mentorship, this is very scary if you've never done it before. It's nerve-wracking. You're like, what's the ROI on this? Like, I don't see how this is going to work. You're programmed to spend big money on very tangible things, right, in your life between a house, a car. You put lots of money into stocks or something that will be an asset, a real estate property. Like, yes, put money into sensible things that I can point at, look at, track, feel, touch. And then you've got this coaching thing. I was like, I just have ambiguous amorphous blob like the person's going to help me change my life what the hell does that even mean um until you've done it the first time you're just gonna just doubt it i doubted it for years and again like i said i've had nine coaches at this point in my life and i'll never go back um, i will always be coached and i like coaching too and there's just something so valuable about working with people that have done what you've done have gone on that journey especially working with people that are just a few steps ahead. If you go to someone that's light years ahead, like 10 years, 15 years ahead of you, they might have trouble relating to you because it was so long ago when they were where you are right now and the conditions in the world might have changed. So I really like going to people that are maybe a few steps, a few years ahead and also have some heroes that like directionally aim me for the stars. I love that stuff too. I need both in my life. But once you start investing in something like coaching or masterminds and you situate yourself around people that are all chasing this dream together, it's so energizing. And if you don't have energy to get you from your current self to your future self, you will never escape that gravity. You will never get there unless you have the energy of the pull of the group of the coach. Yeah. Yeah. You got to surround yourself with people. What's that saying? You are the people who you hang out with or something to that effect. But mm -hmm. that's so true. And having good mentors, good coaches in your corner is, is so helpful. And that's something that I'm learning about a little bit more is the value of having that person in my life. So one of the things that you said is um, from an investment advisor standpoint is investing in yourself first. And I love that concept. I've been talking a lot more about this, about how, you know, let's say 
you've got different types of investment accounts, right? You've got like a retirement account, whether that's your 401k or your IRA, but then you have non-retirement accounts, like a traditional brokerage account. And like for me personally, I'll sell some of those positions in my brokerage account because I don't get penalized because that's only retirement assets that you have to wait until you're 59 and a half. But I'll gladly sell something in that portfolio, even if it's at a loss. I've done that over the last year or so and use that money to invest in myself, like invest in yourself, increase your value to others. That's going to be the big driver of your wealth over time. And like you want to get to a point where now you're diversifying into stocks and into real estate. But the primary investment is in yourself. So I just like how you um, how you positioned it that way. And, and let me make one additional point. And this is slightly a privileged thing to say, but it is very different to, well, you need skin in the game. Uh, I have endless books, ebooks, courses, free things. I'll call it shelfware, stuff I've downloaded with excitement in the moment and never, ever used. Dozens of these things digitally, physically. Um, I didn't pay any money. And my attention, therefore, did not go to those things. And they did not go to implementing those things. Even if you work your way up the ladder, you buy the $27 ebook or the $100 digital course, you get momentary excitement. But because, and this is psychological wiring of how we work, if you didn't put enough money, you won't care enough. So this is, this is the big jump where people start putting serious money and time and energy towards something to change their life. That is ultimate skin in the game, which will bring your focus, your attention to do the work of changing whatever your situation is, whether it's building a business, getting healthier, fixing your marriage, fixing your shitty corporate job that's dominating your life. You need to invest to get your attention, your energy in that thing to make the transformation happen. It's skin in the game. We can look it up ad nauseum online, but that's how we're wired and we've got to appreciate that's how we how we work for most people. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I mean, show me where you're investing your time and your money and I'll tell you what you value. There you go. So, before we um, wrap up here, um, let's get into the concept of the red pill. And you took that kind of from the matrix and mm-hmm. such a classic movie, but um, I know that's something you and I have talked about. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that and kind of how your eyes were, were opened up to different possibilities? When I first saw The Matrix, back when it came out, the first one in like 99, 2000, um, I saw it as a cool action movie. Couldn't see the philosophy, the deeper spiritual meaning at play. When I got into it more about 10 years ago and watched all three and now the fourth one, I love the story. I love the meaning, the metaphors for life. Morpheus is my spirit animal. Morpheus is the one who hands the red pill to Neo. He says, blue pill, accept the status quo. Red pill, follow me down the rabbit hole and change your life. You don't know where this is going to go. And Neo's like, shit, uh, I'll take the red pill. And then everything changes. He finds out he is the one. He finds out he is the one in control of his destiny. He can unplug from the heard from following the crowd and doing the same stuff day after day and hating his life and realizing that he has control of his destiny. He has agency, autonomy, the ability to have superpowers. We all have that. The red pill is something you decide. And I think when you have skin in the game, like with coaching and you surround yourself with people that are all reaching for the same stars together, that is a version of you taking the red pill. Like you have to get your red pill from someone. 
You have to go find that person or group of people and immerse yourself in them. Put your energy there. Minimize uh, against the stuff that's draining your life. Go energize with the things that are going to make you a better person. So taking the red pill in, in a very tactical sense is putting time, money, and energy to be around the people and things that are going to change your life. Taking the red pill for a lot of people, you know, like we talked about earlier, sometimes a massively painful event happens in your life and you know you need to take the pill because you can't continue on the way you were. Sometimes it's a slow simmer and you eventually like, ah, I've woken up. I need to do something about this. But sadly, I think the majority of the people we will meet on this planet, Brian, are content with staying asleep continually taking the blue pill because it's safe, comfortable, non-threatening. And I think that's essentially like decades-long suicide for many Mm. people. They don't know they're dying, but they're dying over 30, 40 years. And it's only when they're later in life where they go, oh, my God, I can't believe I wasted it. Yeah. So to the listeners, um, we'll wrap up here. And there's going to be two calls to action. The first one is watch The Matrix again because maybe you'll get a little bit more meaning out of it. And actually, if you think about our listener, somebody who's been sitting in the corporate world for 10, 15 years or so, right up their alley. I mean, we're all around that age. When it first came out, it was a super cool movie. So I'm going to watch it again, for sure. Um, And then second call to action, Matt, where can people learn more information about you? Just head over to MatthewDone.com. It's everything on my socials there. I have uh, a free masterclass that will help jumpstart your thinking, your journey, and all these things. But just head on over there. Just really want to help people escape their matrix, take control of their corporate life. You don't have to leave it. You need to learn to harness it, use it to your advantage, use it as an asset to build the life you want. Don't just run screaming from the job because a lot of people just find themselves in pain. But actually deal with it. Take control of your life. Yeah. Well, it's such a valuable service because, I mean, if you just look at society in general, the more we could have happier, fulfilled people that are doing well and making money, I mean, that's just a good thing for for communities and and for, you know, companies to create more opportunity for more people. So I just appreciate what you're doing and, and I appreciate what I've learned from you so far, Matt. So thanks for joining us today. You bet, man. Love our relationship and our partnership. Let's keep going helping helping people. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.